take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We have been studying the minor prophets. And last week we began to look at Amos and talked a little bit about draining the swamp. And we discovered that Amos has two life lessons for us to learn, a couple of practical principles by which we should live. The first one is this. If we want to walk with God, we must agree with God. And the second one is this. We must seek the Lord to find real life. Now this morning we want to look at that first principle and we want to look at it throughout Scripture and discover how we can walk with God. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says this. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Read this verse with me, will you please? We'll start with a reference, read the verse, and then finish with the reference. Here we go. Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. Now that's the first principle, the first life lesson that Amos gives to us. If we want to walk with God, we must agree with God. But what does it mean to walk with God? We want to break that down this morning and give you four steps that we must take if we are going to walk with God. Because walking with God is so practical, and God has given to us truth in His Word so that we can understand how we are to develop our relationship with our God. Now we want to begin this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. Did you find it? Ephesians chapter 5, there are three truths in Ephesians. We're going to emphasize the first one about walking, and I want to give them to you. The first truth is found in verse 2. Start with verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now jump down to verse 8, will you please? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And jump down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now those last two were just free this morning. If we are going to walk with God, it begins by loving God and living out His love in our lives. Now, the Bible tells us a little bit about what that means. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, walk in love as Christ loved. And as Christ gave himself for us. That's total, complete, sacrificial love. And that's defined by what Jesus said. Love him with everything we have. So as we walk with God, it begins with loving God and walking in that love. Now, Deuteronomy tells us that we are to serve God with all of our heart. You see, living the Christian life is a full-time responsibility. Living the Christian life 
It's kind of like being married. How many of you here this morning are half married? No, you either are or you're not, right? And as Christians, we either love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all of our might, or we don't. It really is that simple. When I was much younger, much younger, I used to be a running back and a middle linebacker for the Menford High Falcons. We had a coach. His name was Coach Pierce, David Pierce. And he was one of those coaches that he didn't care what you thought or what, how you felt. My pacemaker's going off. And he was always telling us, put your heart into it, boys. Put your heart into it. But you know why we struggle with that? Because sometimes we don't know the difference between our heads and our hearts. And if we're going to understand direction in our lives, we need to make sure that we recognize there's a difference between knowing it in your head and living it out in your heart. I ran across this article this past week. It's an article by Paige Burks. Now, Paige is a sexualist. And the title of the article is, Head versus Heart, Which is Smarter? She says this, What's upstairs? Your head is where the analysis, logic, and thoughts reside. It's where you think through things, review the pros and cons list. It's also where fear lives. The mind likes to disguise fear as rational thinking. It comes up with all the reasons to stay in your safe comfort zone. It fears change. So it explains why your proposed changes isn't in your best interest. When those fears present themselves, it's time for your true self to face them and determine how real they are. Until we do that, our fears will control us and greatly limit our potential. And then she talks about the landscape of the heart. Your heart is where your intuition lies. It's the source of that little voice that guides you, if you let it. Your heart is where your true self resides, your higher self, the one that truly knows what is best for you. Without practice, it's hard to hear your heart. The mind speaks so loudly, sending you in different directions without an overall purpose. It's hard to hear the heart. When you're busy, busy being busy, there's confusion. When you get quiet, you can finally hear the music in your heart. The scripture talks a lot about the heart. It says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts, that God hath raised him from the dead, we can be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And so it's important that we recognize that walking with God is walking with our whole hearts, and we need to know the difference. May I just suggest a couple of differences to you this morning? Head versus heart. 
With our hearts, we find our passion. With our heads, we identify problems. With our hearts, we recognize pleasure. With our heads, we just kind of plod along in life. With our hearts, we find purpose. And with our heads, we try to process the whole thing and figure it out. Paul here says that we are to walk in love, and the love that is described is the love that Christ loved us with and the love that he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And it's that love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you and I are going to walk with God, we have to do it with all of our hearts. No part-time Christians. It's an all or nothing proposition. But not only do we need to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts so that we can walk with him, we also need to be alert to pride in our lives. Turn over to Micah chapter 6, will you please? Micah chapter 6. Old Testament minor prophet. We will get to Micah at some point. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Micah chapter 6. Well, that's the wrong verse. No, it isn't. There it is. Verse 8. It was there. Look with me at verse 8, please. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The writer of Proverbs tells us, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Peter told us this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. And then back to Proverbs chapter 16, we find this. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If we are going to walk with God, we must be alert to the pride in our lives. Now, what does pride give to us? Jackie Crow wrote this in a blog on October 19th of last year. And she titled her blog, Seven Symptoms of a Prideful Heart. Let me give those to you this morning. First symptom is this, fear. Fear simultaneously reveals our lack of trust and our poisonous self-reliance. That's pride. Entitlement. She writes, the core of the gospel is that we are not entitled to anything except just punishment for our sins. Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The disciples wrestled with entitlement many times. On one occasion, they were arguing about who was the greatest. They selfishly thought they deserved honor and glory, but Jesus' response to them was a rebuke. Rather, he said, 
Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. A third symptom of a primal heart. Ingratitude. The Israelites grumbled in the wilderness. Even though God had fed them, God had clothed them, God had led them through the wilderness, their stubborn hearts rejected God's daily mercies out of a foundation of self-idolization. Let me repeat that word, self-idolization. But God's word rebukes our proud grumbling with this command. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. A symptom of a proud heart is ingratitude. People-pleasing. People-pleasing is all about self-satisfaction, she writes. Fearing man more than God and seeking the fleeting happiness that comes from man's approval. Prayerlessness. Pride deceives us into thinking that we can do life on our own. That we're capable, independent, unstoppable, and self-reliant. We think we don't need God every hour. That we don't need His help, His grace, His mercy, His courage, and hope. So surely we don't need to pray. (laughs) Hypocrisy. When you're proud, she writes, you elevate your own status. Forgetting the mercy of God that he has shown to you. You think you're better and holier than everyone else and you easily find fault with others. Pride produces a hypocritical spirit. And last, rebellion. Rebellion says, I know better than God. And Jackie says, and you don't. If we are going to walk with God, we must be alert to the pride in our lives because that takes us away from our God instead of toward our God. And we all have it. Let me encourage you to go home this afternoon and spend some time in the book of Proverbs and discover what God thinks about pride. I gave you two verses out of Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 11.2, When pride cometh, there cometh shame. Proverbs 13, Only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs 14, In the mouths of the foolish is a rod of pride. Proverbs 21, proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Proverbs 29, a man's pride shall bring him low. You get the point? If we're going to walk with God, we need to be alert to pride. 
Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Will you please? 1 John chapter 2. If we're going to walk with God, we must learn to imitate Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we're going to walk with God, we need to learn to imitate Jesus. How did Jesus walk with God? Let this mind be in you, Philippians chapter 2. Which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how he walked. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He got rid of his pride. And took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient. This is love. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, if you and I are going to walk with God, we must agree with God. And that means that his son is the example for our lives. We talk every once in a while about being challenged and changed and conformed to the character of Christ. Some of you have worn the bracelets. I have a hat that simply has initials on it, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And if we're going to walk with God and agree with God, we must look at the one who is the example of what that means, and that is Jesus Christ. Peter tells us this. That we are to follow in his steps. And in the context of 1 Peter, that even involves suffering. If we've got to suffer for Jesus, that's okay. Because he did. All we've got to read is Isaiah chapter 53, Old Testament prophets. Despised, rejected of men, man of sorrows. That was, what, that was Jesus. Should we expect anything less? And lastly, if we're going to walk with God, we need to keep focused. Hebrews chapter 12, turn there please. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible like mine, it's page 1,285. If you don't, you're on your own. Hebrews chapter 12. We've just come out of chapter 11. The great faith chapter, right? And we have identified all of these heroes of the faith who walked with God. And God gives to us in His Word how they walked with God. And he does that so that we can grow. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, because of all of those who walked in the faith, all those who went before us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Not only walk, but run. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the founder and perfecter 
the one and only example of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We've got to keep focused, folks. You ever get distracted? How many times have there been accidents because somebody got distracted and tried to text and drive at the same time? How many times have there been spiritual accidents when somebody tried to stay in the world and live out the Christian life at the same time? You can't do it. We have a mission here at Calvary Baptist Church. And that mission tells us that we are to multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate. Passionate about their God, obedient to His Word, dependent upon Him in prayer, connected to one another, and authentic and relevant. And that whole purpose is so that we can multiply Christ-like disciples. So let me give you a take-home truth. It's very, very simple. You see, if we're going to walk with God, we have to be passionate. If we are going to be passionate about our God, we've got to walk with our God. And if we're going to walk with our God, we have to be passionate about our God. It's the only way it works. And so as we take the mission that God has given to us, we recognize that it demands something from us. Because Amos says, can two walk together except they agree? And in order for us to walk together, we must agree with God. Connie and I enjoy holding hands. We do it regularly. Aaron, I'm sorry we did it during Sunday school this morning. And we enjoy holding hands because it connects us with each other. And even when we're not physically holding hands, we still try to be connected with each other. And that is so wonderful. Let me tell you, walking with God is a wonderful thing. Because it connects us with our God. You know this little chorus? And he walks with me, talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. communion table tells us about our walk with him and we remember all of the great things that he has done for us as we recognize who he is can two walk together except they be a great nope can't do it they're going opposite directions and if we want to walk with god we must do it with all of our hearts we must be alert to pride 
We must make sure that we are learning to imitate Christ. And we've got to keep focused, folks. And then we know that we walk with him and talk with him. And he tells us, hey, you're mine. You're walking with me. And the joy we share, nothing better than that. As we spend some time holding hands and walking with our God. Nobody else has ever known what that's all about.